therapists are overbooked. Availability is hard to find. Insurance never seems to cover enough. If you find a therapy situation that feels okay, but not quite great, is it better than nothing? Today, we're having a conversation with Lori Gottlieb, one of the most well-known therapists in the U.S., and author of the beautiful New York Times bestseller, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And we'll try to answer the question that I received from an audience member that, honestly, can be uncomfortable for two therapists to talk about. When therapy is meh, is it truly better than no therapy at all? Welcome. I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this is Baggage Check, mental health talk and advice, with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Baggage Check is not a show about luggage or travel. Incidentally, Baggage Check is also not a show about antique ear horns. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Lori Gottlieb, a psychotherapist and the New York Times bestselling author of Maybe You Should Talk to Someone, which has sold over a million copies, holy cow, and is currently being adapted as a television series. In addition to her clinical practice, she is co-host of the popular Dear Therapists podcast produced by Katie Couric, and she writes The Atlantic's weekly Dear Therapist advice column. She's a sought-after expert in media such as The Today Show, Good Morning America, CBS This Morning, CNN, and NPR's Fresh Air. And her recent TED Talk was one of the most watched of the year. And now maybe you should talk to someone has a brand new workbook a toolkit for editing your story and changing your life. You can learn more about Lori at lorigottlieb.com or by following her on Instagram or Twitter. Lori has been a wonderful support to my book, Detox Your Thoughts. Her name actually appears on the cover. And in a sort of strange twist, she helped me kick off my virtual book tour at the very beginning of the pandemic when my book tour went in a heartbeat from being a bunch of in-person events to being a pixelated cornucopia of tech issues. But it was wonderful. She was there for the night that we launched the book tour, and I've just been grateful to her ever since. So let's listen to the question we'll be answering together. Now, this question was sent from a reader of my other work, but we wanted it to be read out loud by someone who was not me. So thank you to the listener who has read it out loud. If you ever want your voice to be featured reading a listener letter, it need not be your letter, reach out to me on the Baggage Check Podcast Instagram page. And to send a question of your own in voice memo form so that it's your voice or as a letter or email, check us out at baggagecheckpodcast.com. Okay, let's get to that letter. I've been stuck for a while, just sort of in a life rut. I'm 25, don't love my job, and had not the best upbringing, though nothing too serious or any abuse or anything. But my dad was and is kind of a jerk, and I think it's affected the way I view bosses and even some men I date. I have some habits that my roommates might call quirks, but to me, I think are problematic. Like, I tend to eat a lot of junk when I'm stressed, and I don't sleep well. I think I've struggled with anxiety all my life, really. But on the surface I get by, I function okay. I have parts of my life that are really good, like my friends and some hobbies. I love rock climbing and painting. 
I don't have the greatest health insurance, and I set out looking for a therapist a few months ago just to kind of get myself in order and figure things out at this point in my life. I figured I could use some extra ways to battle my anxiety and stress, and also to better understand the impact that my dad has had on my life. It took forever to find a therapist. No one had availability, no one seemed to take my insurance, and scheduling was a problem. I did eventually find one, and we've been meeting for about six weeks. I like her. She seems like a very nice person, but I'm not really feeling like we're doing much. She's supportive and all, and definitely empathetic, but I feel like I'm sort of spinning my wheels. I know you might tell me to bring this up with her, and I'll be honest that that would just be so awkward that I probably wouldn't do it. But finding another therapist just doesn't seem realistic either. I mean, I just went through this. I know the hurdles I was just dealing with a couple of months ago. It's not that suddenly there is some new supply of excellent therapists. And really, I don't think that my therapist is bad, but I'm also not sure she's particularly sparking real change in me. It's all pretty meh and makes me want to quit. But then I start to think I shouldn't quit, that it's still useful to see someone. But I guess it all boils down to, is mediocre therapy better than nothing? Should I stick with it or should I give up? Is therapy that's meh really better than no therapy at all? So I'm thrilled to talk with Lori Gottlieb about this issue because I think so many people struggle with this very question of, I can't get ideal therapy right now. Maybe it's availability. I can't find somebody who will take my insurance. And I think it really begs the question of what makes good therapy and how do you know when it's sufficient? And is there a point at which taking a pause on therapy in the hopes of finding something better is actually the wiser choice. So welcome, Lori. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks so much, Andrea. It's great to be here and be able to kind of think about this question together. Thank you. Thank you. So I know first and foremost, the truth is everyone is struggling to find somebody. Everybody is really seeming to have a hard time. Availability is so low. I think it's really hard in particular for folks looking for child psychologists and child therapists. But I also hear it all the time with adults that just, they're on a waiting list to get on a waiting list. Are you seeing that too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are so many issues with access to therapy and part of it has to do with um, just availability. Like you said, I think during the pandemic, people who maybe didn't think about going to therapy before suddenly, you know, realized, hey, maybe this would be useful. And because everything was on Zoom, you didn't have to find someone who was so local to you. And so mm -hmm. lots of therapists, uh, it seemed like there would be so much more availability. But in fact, because of the demand, um, many mm -hmm. therapists very quickly did not have any slots available. And so yeah. there's that as a barrier to entry, but there's also the issues of who's on your insurance panel and how much does it cost? And can I afford mm -hmm. this? Because it's a weekly, generally it's a weekly endeavor. Um, mm -hmm. And so all of those factors play into it. Now, at least we don't have to think, you know, can I leave work and drive to this place? Because you can do Zoom therapy. Yeah, that does make a huge difference, I think, in terms of, hey, I don't have to commute anymore, and maybe I could squeeze in a therapy session on my lunch hour. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it also still leaves this idea of cost and commitment, and does my insurance cover this? And I think part of the problem is, too, people don't know necessarily what they're truly looking for. Do you find that? I mean, I work with people all the time who are like, 
I didn't even know if I needed a psychiatrist or a therapist or what's the difference between somebody who does CBT versus somebody who does other kinds of therapy. And I think in our culture, we really don't endow people with the information that they need to be empowered consumers. Yeah. And I think the other thing is a lot of people just don't know what therapy is because there are so many Mm -hmm. misconceptions. A lot of people think you go to therapy and you talk about your childhood every week and you never leave, which is not at Mm -hmm. all what good therapy is. Therapy is a very active, dynamic process. We're very focused on your present circumstances and sure how the past might inform them, but with an eye toward the future, the present and the future. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I think another misconception about therapy is that you're going to come in, you're going to download the problem of the week. You're going to leave. You're going to come back. You're going to download the next problem of the week. He said this. She said this. My mother said this. My boss said this. My partner said this. My friend said this. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that's not what it is either. We always like to say that insight is the booby prize of therapy, meaning you can have all the insight in the world, but if you don't make changes out in the world, the insight is useless. So in my view, a lot of therapy takes place outside the therapy room between sessions. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got into that fight with my partner again. Okay, great. You understand why it happened, but did you do something different? Yes. That's such a great point. And I loved that in your book too, the idea of insight being the booby prize of (laughs) therapy because it's not enough. It's insufficient. I work with people all the time who have known their challenge for five years Mm -hmm. and it hasn't been able to be translated into actual change. And I think sometimes therapists can kind of, if they're not careful, enable this, you know, the client who's talkative, who tells the story about their week, who feels better untangling some stuff and then leaves, like you said, sort of week to week. But I think we all need to be mindful of the fact that even though that feels comforting and that feels like you're leaving each session feeling better than you were before, that can also turn into spinning your wheels sometimes where, like you said, you're sort of going in, here's what happened. Let's untangle it. Okay. Next time. You know, I think it's really important to think about the larger path, the larger goal, the deeper insights that are coming from stringing all those anecdotes together and saying, here's how things are going to be different. Here's how our insight is actually going to make us handle the situation differently next time, rather than just developing these mini insights each time that we're just going to repeat week after week. Yeah. Our role isn't actually there to comfort people. Our role Mm -hmm. is to help people to see something about themselves and the way they move through the world that's keeping them stuck Mm -hmm. or not working for them or not serving them. And then how do you make those changes out in the world? It's like, if you just want to be comforted, call your friend. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll give you, we talk about a lot, you know, this idea, I talk about it in in maybe you should talk to someone. I talk about it on Dear Therapist podcast a lot, this idea of, the, the difference between idiot compassion and wise compassion and idiot compassion is what our friends do. You know, we call up and we say, listen to what happened and your friend will comfort you. Yeah, they're right. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you go girl. And what you get in therapy is you get wise compassion where we hold up a mirror to you and help you to see something about yourself that maybe you haven't been willing or able to see. Yes. And once you see that, to understand the impact that it's having in your interactions out in the world. You know, what it, not just why is this happening, but what is happening in these interactions and what can you do differently? And then what happens in your life when you do yes. do things differently? 
Exactly. And sometimes that's inherently uncomfortable. And I think that's why this whole, you know, ooh, I feel comfortable in therapy is sometimes a real red herring. We want to feel comfortable and safe. We want to feel like the person can bear witness and that we trust them, that the therapist really has that ability to make us feel heard and understood. But we don't want to feel so comfortable where we're not being challenged, where we're not being pressed on how to really make changes because i think comfort is something that all too often can keep bad patterns going over and over again it's inertia right it's that self-perpetuating cycle because it's a lot easier to stay comfortable than it is to make changes that might be uncomfortable yeah i always say that a first therapy session is a consultation and a lot mm -hmm. of people don't understand that. They think, okay, I'm going to go to therapy. I found this therapist who meets whatever criteria on my insurance plan, location, you know, something about their website mm -hmm. that I liked, whatever it is. And, yes. and the outcome they think is either, okay, I'm going to be in therapy with this person, or if I don't like it, then I'm just going to leave and I'm not going to go to therapy. And really, mm -hmm. you have to find the right fit. So study mm -hmm. after study shows that the most important factor in the quote unquote success of your therapy is your relationship with your therapist. It matters more mm -hmm. than their theoretical orientation, the modality mm -hmm. they use, the number of years of experience they have. All of mm -hmm. that matters. Don't get me wrong. Those mm -hmm. things matter. But that one factor matters more than the others. What is mm -hmm. your relationship with your therapist? And so this idea that when you go in for a first session, I always say to people, after you leave that session, ask yourself two questions. One, did I feel basically understood by this person as much as someone can understand you in, you know, a first meeting? But the second question is, did this person say something that made me think about something in my life differently than I had before I walked in? And we're not going to mm -hmm. challenge people too much in a first session because we're just getting to know them. We want them to feel safe. We want to understand more about them. But it might be something small like, oh, and, and what happened when you did that, right? Mm -hmm. Or what would happen if you did that instead? Have you ever mm -hmm. said no? Right. Just something that made you think like, oh, you know, yes. people are like, wait, I can do that. Um, <laughs> so so this idea of, um, you know, did they just ask something or say something it would be probably, you know, very small in that first session that made me think about something that I'm still thinking about after I left the session. Mm -hmm. That's really sticking yes. with me. Oh, I want to go back because I want to be challenged in therapy. I want my therapist mm -hmm. to challenge me, to help me to think about things in a way that I haven't been able to yet. Because obviously, yes. whatever I'm doing now is not working in the way that I want it to. Exactly. To really hold up that light to illuminate some of the distortions, some of the cognitive patterns or the behavioral habits that just haven't been working. And not only to hold up that light, but to show a path towards being able to change those. I think it's so, so important. And and so we have this letter writer, and I know you and I both had the same reaction when I shared this with you, which is, this is really tough. You know, this is not one of those questions where we say, oh, okay, here it goes. And you and I both have really long histories as advice columnists. And I think sometimes there are the questions that we know are not going to have easy answers, but we also know these really represent something that we see 
fairly often. So we've got someone, she's in her 20s, she seems like she's insightful into some bad habits that she's developed and, and she sees them as bad. I'm not trying to put judgment on them myself, but she sees that they get into her way. She's had some patterns with her father in the past that maybe caused some residual issues with relationships, but she's had like a lot of people, as we talked about in the pandemic, she's had a really difficult time finding a therapist. And so she's in this new therapy relationship, it feels nice in a way, but you know, she used the word meh. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> does it really feel like enough? And I'm wondering, you know, what were your first instincts reading this just right off the bat? Well, the first thing that stood out for me in the letter was just how much she justifies and accommodates situations that don't work for her. So she mm -hmm. said, you know, oh, I had this tough childhood, but it wasn't abusive or anything. <laughs> so it's like, yes. you know, it's like, let's qualify <laughs> that. Let's downplay that, minimize yes. it. Um, you know, my father, he was tough, but, you know, it's okay. <laughs> and, yes. you know, there was, there was just a lot of, here are the things that I see that are problematic. Mm -hmm. And then here's why it's not that bad. Or here's yes. how I kind of, you know, rationalize it, justify it. And I think she's kind of doing the same thing with the therapy. Mm -hmm. It's like, this therapist is really nice. She's probably a good therapist, but I don't know, you mm -hmm. know, as opposed to say, and then, and then, you know, she said, and she predicted what we would say, rightly so, yes. which was, <laughs> you know, maybe bring that up in the therapy yep. because it doesn't sound like she really brings things up when she feels yes. like she's not getting her needs met. Yes. Yes. And that was so much my first impression here is that she almost knows part of the answer of this is talking with the therapist. And it could be that the therapist isn't the best person for her to be seeing. And, and we'll certainly get to that in a moment. But I also feel like by her kind of owning the fact that she knows this about herself, that she is unlikely to speak up, even though she knows there could be a benefit in that, that's kind of the crux of what we're dealing with right here. Is she willing to get out of her comfort zone and have the hard conversation? And we can almost get meta here in the sense that that's got to be part of the therapy experience for her. And that's probably going to apply to any therapy experience. Even if she finds some spectacular fit that feels better, in a way, she's going to need to bring up difficult things. She's going to need to bring herself to be challenged and to have the conversations that feel aversive, maybe because they're awkward, maybe because they make her feel guilty or she doesn't want to be upsetting someone. She's got to be able to challenge that. So that was my first reaction too, is like, here's somebody who she probably in a way doesn't want to have the difficulty of what if the therapist doesn't like me if I say this? What if I disappoint the therapist by not being a good enough happy client? That's problem number one, as I see it. Yeah, I think that when we look at her pattern from the letter, and it's really, I just want to say that it's a letter. So if we were talking mm -hmm. to her, we'd have a lot more information. But even in mm -hmm. that letter, you can tell that, you know, she's made several accommodations, which makes me think that her way of moving through the world is as a people pleaser. And I always mm -hmm. say that when people are people pleasers, I want to ask them the question of who taught you that their needs were more important than yours when you were younger. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like she could probably answer that question. Yeah. That she did yeah. learn that, that other people's needs are more important than mine. And so the way that I'm going to cope is I am going to kind of push mine down because that just makes things run more smoothly. 
But the thing is, she's mm-hmm. not a child anymore. And I think that what happens to us is when we accommodate in that way, we grow up and we forget that we're free now. We forget mm-hmm. that we actually can do whatever we want in mm-hmm. terms of sharing our feelings in a, in a respectful way, in a reasonable way. And so, yes. and so it, when you talked about being meta before, I think that a lot of people maybe don't know this about therapy, but it's kind of like whatever you do in the therapy room with your therapist is something that you probably do out there. But the therapy room is the safest space in the world to experiment with making those changes, with doing yes. something different. Because maybe out there it would be really scary to bring up to a friend or a partner or a family member, hey, this is how I'm feeling. And knowing that they might not have the greatest reaction. Your therapist yeah. not only not only is okay with it, your therapist encourages this, is is wanting mm-hmm. this. Your therapist wants you. I remember I put something recently up on social media, like things your therapist wants you to say, right? Or wants you to do, <laughs> yes. right? And it's like, we want yes. you to tell us if you don't feel like you're getting your needs met in here. And so just the yeah. experience, even if this isn't the right therapist for her, like you were saying, just the experience of saying, I don't know. It sounded like she didn't have a lot of experience in therapy, so she might not know, mm-hmm. you know, what is it supposed to be like or what does it feel like? And she's only had six sessions. So exactly. So she might, she might not know. And so it might be that, you know, were she to bring this up with a therapist to say, you know, Hey, I haven't done therapy before. I don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. with it. I don't feel like I'm really being challenged in here. I don't know whether that's me, whether that's just you know, whether this isn't the right fit for me. And mm-hmm. I wanted to bring it up because it's it's here with me every time. And, and sometimes I feel like I don't even want to come to therapy or I want to quit. Wow. As a yes. therapist, you so want to hear that and have that conversation because that's going to help this client. That's going to help this young mm-hmm. woman. Um, even if through the discussion, you know, the two of you start to discover, hey, you know what? Maybe you should try someone else and I'm still here for you. Right. So maybe if you want, maybe a great idea would be try going to someone else. Let's see what that's like for you. If you decide, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what? I want to come back here. My door is open and that's Mm -hmm. great. And we can pick up here and we have so much to talk about because of this little experiment that's going on. Yes. I love that. And in particular, I think that people assume that if they bring up something difficult or that might make it seem that it's not the right fit, that it's okay, well, you know, bye-bye. Yeah. (laughs) And that's not the way that it has to be or would ever be. A skilled therapist is waiting for this to happen and is there to pick up the pieces no matter what happens and can help with transitions. You know, I have helped clients find new therapists because they moved or because now they've got something that I don't specialize in for all kinds of reasons. And it's not like our relationship ends the second that we know that maybe we're not working together as an end-all be-all relationship. And I think so many people, and you know, if she is listening, the, the writer, so many people assume that they're going to sort of push the therapist away or that they have somehow unclicked a box of being the client still. But I think it's absolutely right that if she were to maybe try to pursue seeing somebody else, the therapist could still help with that transition. But I hope if she's listening now that she understands that that very act of speaking up as you said, is so important. It's so much part of the process. That has so much growth 
to offer in and of itself for her, especially with her potential people-pleasing tendencies, that she can view that as part of treatment, even if it feels icky, or I should say, especially because it feels icky. But speaking of feeling icky, I think something for me as a therapist is coming up against this hard truth that sometimes availability seems so tough that my idea of finding a better fit, you know, and telling somebody, hey, that doesn't sound quite right, go and find another fit, it's not happening for them. I think, you know, in this case, she spelled out, look, I know what's out there because I've just been out there trying to find and my insurance doesn't cover that much and I try to do this. So I don't want to be overly optimistic that, oh yeah, you just go and find the better fit. And the truth is, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but not all therapists are particularly skilled or experienced or particularly warm or particularly able to really meet a client where they are. And I think that's the sad truth. Therapy is a profession like anything else. And sometimes the pickings feel really, really slim right now when everybody is so overbooked. So if it turns out that she has this conversation, it still feels like it's not necessarily the right fit, but she's pushed herself to have this conversation and that's great and the therapist was receptive and they had some growth from it, but she still feels like she needs somebody maybe who's going to be a little bit more active or maybe who has a little bit more experience in parent-child relationships or whatever it might be, maybe somebody who has a little bit different of an approach. Is it worth trying to sort of get on wait lists and trying to start from scratch and you know try to cover all your bases again even if she feels exhausted or can she take the the tack well i'm getting something out of this therapy so maybe i just stick with that for a while and maybe if i improve a bit for now that's okay i think the way that she can get something out of this therapy is to really bring herself into the room. It sounds mm, like, mm-hmm. you know, she can bring herself into a letter and I wish that she could say to her therapist what she said to us in that letter. Yes. Because a lot of people think that the therapist is really leading the therapy, but it's really the person coming to therapy who needs to bring mm-hmm. their full selves into that room. And so mm-hmm. we're here as a witness, as a guide, as someone who, you know, I like to say that therapy is like getting a really good second opinion on your life from someone who's not already mm-hmm. in your life. And I think that we can only do that if we know what you're bringing to us. If she's going in there mm-hmm. every week and just, you know, telling whatever story she's telling and the therapist is empathizing, but not really moving it forward, the therapist may be you're right, maybe doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, mm-hmm. But also, to be fair to the therapist, maybe isn't getting enough info. You know, you don't know yes. what the person is holding back. And so you can try to hint at that. Again, they're still relatively new in this process yes. together. So, so that's part of it. I think I just want to go back to that other comment too about this idea of endings, because I feel like mm-hmm. the reason that people don't want to bring up something about the relationship with the therapist is because their experience has been that endings have not gone so well, right? Mm -hmm. So in the world, like ending a friendship, ending a relationship, breakups in general, leaving a job, whatever it is, um, maybe they haven't really gone well. A lot of us don't have the experience of having a really positive ending to a situation that either we are leaving involuntarily or voluntarily. But either Mm -hmm. way, and this is an opportunity where 
she doesn't really know whether it's going to end. The point is she's bringing it up. If she were in a relationship and she were saying, you know, I'm thinking things aren't, I'm not really sure about certain things in my relationship, but I don't want to bring them up to my partner. So should I just leave or should I, or should I just stick it out? Yes. Well, neither. <laughs> you should bring it up <laughs> to your partner and say, Hey, yes. this is how I'm feeling in the relationship. And I want to talk with you about it. And mm-hmm. maybe that will bring up really important stuff in the relationship and bring you closer and make the relationship something that you want it to be. Or mm-hmm. maybe it will show you more clearly that it's not the right relationship, but you'll have a positive ending because you were honest and forthright and you brought your truth right there to the relationship. And maybe it'll still be painful because endings can be painful, mm-hmm. but it will feel good. It will feel positive. It will gr- help you grow and move forward. And that's our hope for this letter writer. That, you know, she can bring this up and say, and even start with, I am so uncomfortable with what I want to say today. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if I can do it. I've written it down. I feel like I want to hand you this letter because I don't even think I could say it out loud. But I feel like it's the only way to move forward here. And I'm really scared Mm -hmm. that you're going to read the letter and then kick me out as a client. And I don't want that to happen because I feel like there might be something here that I can really grow from, but I just don't know yet. And I want to talk about it with you. And I'm terrified. Can you read mm-hmm. this letter? And I'm really hoping that I won't get abandoned here because that's my biggest fear. It's such beautiful vulnerability to be able to do that, but it's so meaningful and it leads to such growth. And I've seen technology help with that. Ironically, I've seen clients who say, hey, I'm writing this in an email first so that I can't chicken out and decide not to say it. I haven't talked about this awful thing that's happened because it's been too hard. But if I write something a little bit about it beforehand, then I know that you're going to at least know it. And I know you won't absolutely force me, but it's going to be on the radar and I'll feel a little bit more accountable. And starting off the conversation, I think this is even good for non-therapy conversations to be able to say, this is really hard for me to say, or I'm feeling so uncomfortable here, or I don't even know how to put this into words. I think so many times difficult conversations go well, or at least go better, because we own those feelings off the bat and we show our vulnerability. And again, vulnerability can be so meaningful. It doesn't have to be the enemy. But I think for a lot of us, it is the enemy. And I can imagine for this letter writer that whatever went on with her father growing up, at some point, she had to not be vulnerable. Or if she was vulnerable, it was punished. Or she felt like any kind of weakness was just going to hurt her. Or she didn't have a safe space to express her feelings. And so you can imagine all of those patterns. But there's so much hope for her yeah. to grow. There really is. I'm, I'm actually really, really hopeful for this person. And if you're out there listening, I hope you know that whatever path you end up taking from a therapy process, from a therapy viewpoint, your ownership of your feelings is going to be a key part of that. And your ability to harness your own voice and have it be heard is going to be an important, important aspect of that. Yeah. And I also think that when she has this conversation with her therapist, again, if she wants to hand her the letter as a way to start the conversation, but really just leading with her fear. Sometimes we just don't Mm -hmm. talk about things with other people, even outside of the therapy room, because we can't even get past the fact that we have this fear where we are ashamed of the fact that we have the fear. 
So we won't even get to the thing that we want to talk about, which is, you know, these are the needs that are not getting met. We don't even say, hey, I have so much fear around even just talking about this. That can diffuse so much and that can create so much connection. Because usually Mm -hmm. when you say that to someone, they will come toward you. They will say, hey, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm here. Let's let's talk Mm -hmm. about this. Like they want to help you to feel more comfortable. That's just our normal human reaction. Someone says, I'm really scared to talk about this. We want to make them comfortable so that they can talk to us. Nobody wants Mm -hmm. a relationship where your partner, your child, your coworker, you know, in in therapy, your client is afraid Mm -hmm. to talk to you about something. Yeah. I would say, especially a therapist, that's, that's what we're there for is being able to bear witness to people's fear and being able to say, it is safe here actually to be afraid that we can be in the room with you and we're neither going to run nor, you know, make you even more afraid. We're here to bear witness. We're here to have empathy and we're here to listen and help you gain insight. So yes, I feel like there are so many ways that this client really has a lot of exciting growth ahead of her. If she's willing, she already has so much insight into herself. That much is clear. She's just got to nudge herself a little bit. Yeah. I like what she said about the whole reason that she feels like the therapy is kind of met is because she doesn't feel like she's growing. So I don't mm-hmm. really feel like I'm, I'm, I feel like there's something else that should be happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, so she wants to grow, which is great. She wants to yes. do it. She knows what she has to do to grow. It's kind of just getting over that hump. And I hope that some of the ideas that we gave her about starting with the fear, owning the fear, um, you know, if she has to hand the letter to her, hand the letter to her, um, talk about this is what I'm afraid is going to happen if I do hand the letter to you, you know, all of those things just to kind of help her to, to, to get over that edge. There's always that edge that we look at with clients, which is, you know, there's that readiness and then there's mm-hmm. just, but it's just a little bit ahead of where they are. And we want them to yeah. go not so much ahead of where they are that it's just too much. It's overwhelming. They feel flooded and they can't handle yeah. it. It's just a little bit. And I feel like she's right on that edge right now. She said everything in that letter that she needed to say to indicate like you're right there. You just need someone Mm -hmm. to take your hand and walk across the threshold with you. That's gorgeous. That's so true. That's how I see it, too. And there's a part of me from a more behavioral standpoint, too, that thinks, you know, if she wants really specific accountability and actionable techniques about the sleep or the eating to speak up about that, too. And maybe that's part of what she's looking for in terms of growth that, hey, I've had this relationship with junk food for 10 years and I want to start making daily small changes on it and being held accountable. And that's just another example of something that she can really articulate and speak up with. So yeah, I hope that you're out there. I hope that you're able to have heard this letter read or heard your letter read. And Lori, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. I really love how we were able to collaborate on this one. It was just a true joy to be able to speak with you again. And I know that a lot of my listeners are fans of yours too. I I think that when you say, you know, I hope she's out there, I think everybody listening is this person Mm -hmm. in some way. Meaning we're all afraid to bring things up. Sometimes we're all wondering, you know, how do I, how do I talk about this? How do I think about this? Am I too Mm -hmm. much if I bring this up? 
Um, you know, yes. what if the other person isn't happy with what I have to say? We've all been in those situations. So I love talking mm-hmm. about this with you. Um, I think that so many of the, the letters that both of us get are universal. And that's why I think it's so yes. important to have these conversations. Yes. And that's why it's such a privilege. So thank you again, Lori. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for joining me today. Once again, I'm Dr. Andrea Bonnier, and this has been Baggage Check with new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Submit your voice memos at baggagecheckpodcast.com. And if you have that quirky friend who likes podcasts about thought-provoking issues, please let them know where to find us. Our original music is by Jordan Cooper, cover art by Danielle Merity, and my studio security is provided by Buster the Dog. Until next time, take good care.